that, yo. I'm sorry I can't let go of that. chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. We are in a two-week series there. This is the end of that series. Last week we were preaching on this title, Counting the Cost of Following Jesus. Today we're going to finish that series. Luke 14 verse 25. Luke 14 verse 25. Are you standing or sitting near somebody good looking? Amen. Go on and look at him. Just point at him. Told me, yeah, yeah, you. Amen. Amen. <laughs> That's good. It's so nice to be nice. Amen. Luke 14. Luke 14. Thank all of you who are watching by way of uh, virtual experience. We're glad you are with us too. 
Luke 14, verse 25. If you got it, somebody holler at me and say, I got it, Pastor. Now great multitudes, they went with him. And he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he or she has enough to finish it? Unless after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and he was not able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. And so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all, he cannot be my disciple. Now here's part two of last week's message. Salt is good, but, somebody say but, if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? For it's neither fit for the land nor the doo-doo. Somebody say doo-doo. But men, they throw it out. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Part two of this series, Counting the Costs of Following Jesus. The title of this subtitle of this lesson today is A Careless Condition. Counting the Costs of Following Jesus, A Careless Condition. Beloved, on last week, for those of you who weren't able to be with us, we discovered that it was right after Jesus left the Pharisees' house that great crowds, they followed him to see what it was he was going to do next in his ministry. We discovered on last week, Lady McBee, that this was the year of popularity for Jesus but it was also the season of opposition. The crowds were following him, but they were following him for different reasons. You see, some just were following uh, brothers and sisters because they wanted to see another miracle. Others were following because they were still hungry. And a few were following because they were hoping he was going to be the fulfillment of David and overthrow the Roman system that held them in bondage. Regardless to why they were following, they were all following for the wrong reasons. 
And according to a friend of my library, it was at that moment, Jesus seeing the crowd, assessing the crowd, he turned and he preached this sermon to thin out the crowd. Did you catch that, Paul? In other words, he was making it clear that if you're following me for anything else than becoming my disciple, you in the wrong crowd. On well, last week, I told you Jesus, oh, when it came to saving lost souls, wanted everybody to be saved. Amen. Can I get an amen? amen? But not only was salvation important, it was not enough. What do you mean, Pastor? He wanted them to not only be saved, but to be a disciple. Amen. Remember we separated the two last week? Salvation has much to do with conversion. Yeah. Discipleship don't happen when you get converted. Yeah, yeah. Discipleship happens after you get converted. Amen. Can I get a witness right there? And so Jesus is challenging them here. If you have truly been converted, then now you want to ask the question, am I ready to live the sacrificial life? On oh, last week, I asked you to look at three things with me. Reverend White, you remember that. I asked you to check your commitment as a follower of Jesus. I asked you to check your calculations if you're going to follow Jesus. And then I challenge you to check your considerations for what it means to be a disciple. This week, I want to ask one more favor of you. I want to ask you to check your conditions to see if your life is ready to be salty for Jesus. Can I get a good witness right there? I probably never have to preach this sermon again. I think this is one for the books. So let's examine the text now and discover what it truly means to count the cost of being a disciple. Point number one, I'll review them again. Check your commitment. Look at verse 26. He says, if anyone comes to me, Reverend Mason, good to see you, Reverend, he, and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and his sisters, and his own life also, he cannot. Somebody say he cannot. Yeah. He cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, they cannot. They can't be his disciple. Isn't that clear, beloved? When we come to this portion of the text, on last week I told you that Jesus is again challenging the multitudes, Sister Armstrong, to check their true commitment, daughter, about following him. Why are y'all really here, he was saying. In other words, there must be a serious commitment that they possess if they want to be, Brother Thaddeus, a disciple. Secondly, we learned on last week that Jesus was literally laying out the prerequisites for kingdom obedience. He says, if you're going to follow me, first of all, properly align all your relationships. You catch that? In other words, God must come before everybody and anybody. He must come before you. Remember on last week I said, you can't love mama and God on the same level. Because if you put mama on the same level with God, you're making mama God. Y'all in here? 
Secondly, we learned last week that he says so very clearly, you must be willing to carry your cross. And then I gave you an illustration. I said, you got to get one of these. Y'all remember that? You got to bling it out. That's right. Really. And to carry your cross means to die to yourself daily. Right? It means dying to your own plans and ambitions. Watch this. That trump the plans and ambitions of God. Can I say some more? It's not that God don't want you to have ambitions. Or he's trying to deny you from doing great things in the earth. He just don't want your desires to trump his desires. Did you catch it? He doesn't want Cliff what I want to trump what he wants for me. That's properly aligning your life under the cross that he has called you to carry. That makes sense? What he's getting at in this text, he also is wanting you and I to know that lastly, to carry the cross is something you must be willing to do. You catch it? He don't want to have to beg you to carry your cross. He wants you to willingly make those sacrificial decisions that bring him honor and glory. And like God don't want to have to wrestle with you about your obedience. Y'all in here? Now listen, some of y'all sections is quiet, so you better start talking. They're going to think I'm talking about you. They used to say in the hood, fake it till you make it, amen? If you're going to be his disciple, Big John, it implies carrying the cross is not an option, but it's the standard. Did you catch it? It's not an option, it's the standard. Story is told about the great missionary David Livingstone, who was just a beast when it came to living out the will of God in the earth and following him. One day, Reverend Billings, a missionary society, wrote him a letter. They said, Brother David, we, we, we want to know how you're doing, and we got a question for you. The question is, are there any smooth roads? That will lead us to join you where we are. Because if there is, we got some men that are ready to come join you on the mission field. Livingston wrote back and said, if you've got men that will only come because the road is smooth, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there's no road at all. Did y'all catch that right there? What's saying? He said, it takes commitment. To follow God as a disciple. Can I tell you, ain't no smooth roads to discipleship. Hello, is this thing on? We looked at checking our commitment. Let's look now at checking our considerations. Point or calculations. Point number two in verse 28. Check your calculations said this. Jesus said, for which of you, it's a question, it's a parable, is intending to build a tower does not sit down first, Sister Baldry, and count the cost. Whether he or she has enough to finish the job. Unless he or she has laid the foundation and is not able to finish. And everybody who sees that begins to mock them, saying they began to build, but they weren't even able to finish. Y'all remember that? 
When we came to that portion of the text, Jesus in the parable, first of all, is letting you and I know the man didn't build it. He was intending on building it. Did y'all catch it? It wasn't done, but I said last week, Mason, he had a vision to do something great for God. But before he did it, he had to calculate if he had what it really took to finish this great vision that he had to do something for God in the earth. And I mentioned on last week, Lady Wilson, that the parable was calling for the believer to calculate the cost. Why? In order to determine if you got what it takes to do something great for God. Can I get you a window to look through? I've learned, Sister Green, that if you're going to do something great for God, as a disciple of God, you better first check your calculations and see who it is you can count on. And really examine to see if you got enough to finish what you said he gave you a vision to do. Why? Because if you start it and you don't finish it, people going to mock you. Look at him. Talking about he was called to God. He was called to preach. Then he quit. Look at her. She had a vision to do this ministry. Couldn't count the cost, so she quit. Am I talking to you? See, the challenge in this text, Brother Lorda, is counting the cost. It's serious. Why? Calculations must be done in advance. This means you must know who and what you're working with. And who and what you're committed to before you take up the challenge of trying to build something great for God. Can I give you an example? I said on last week, Lady Trina, if you're going to build a godly marriage, you better have the right partner. Didn't I say that? I said it in church. I said it. If you're going to build a godly business, you better have the right resources. Can't be hooking up with the world talking about you doing this for God. Remember I said about that? If you're going to be rich, you can't tell me I'm going to sell weed for God can bless me. No. If you're going to build a successful career, you better be connected with some godly people. If you're going to build a great life, uh, there is, you got to have godly friends. If you want to grow professionally, spiritually, psychologically, mentally, you better let God lead you. Am I talking to you? If you leave God out in any way or fashion, in any manner, without counting the cost, here it is, your calculations for success are going to be wrong. And in the end, you will be the headliner in the next gossip column. Look at her. Look at him. Talking about he going to plant a church. They going to talk. Ask the question on last week. I think I'll ask it again here. Sister A. Is there anybody here this morning willing to admit that life got messed up? Because you made decisions without God? Yes. 
If I was online, I'd say for the people in the back. Is there anybody here willing to say, if I could do these all over again, I wouldn't do what I just did. Is there anybody here today, Deacon Martin, good to see you, ready to testify that doing things God's way is the best way? Here it is in this text. Jesus is saying, you better count the cost, Wilson, if you're going to become a disciple, a student, a follower, a learner, one who imitates the one he is following. You better check your calculations. Here's what he's saying, Brother David. If you think you want to follow me and do what you see me doing, check your calculations. Frank, you appreciate this story right here, brother. Said, good to see you. When Julius Caesar, that great Roman emperor, landed on the shores of Britain with his Roman army, he took a bold and decisive step. And he did this to ensure that he would have military success. He took all of his men and he marched them up to a place that was called Cliffs of Dover. And the cliffs oversaw the mighty Mediterranean and the ships in which they used to come across the channel. And while they was marching, he gave the order for somebody to go down and set all the ships on fire. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So when he got the soldiers to the cliff, Reverend White, he made them look and see that the way back home had just been canceled. Are y'all with me here? And he did this because he wanted the soldiers to know that there must not be no retreat. So they only had one decision. Fight until the end. You know they was victorious in the battle because every man had the option removed. There was no going back. Did y'all catch me here? And that's what we need today. We need some soldiers in the army of God that say, I can't go back because that thing's been eliminated. I need somebody to say, there ain't no going back. I ain't going back to the old me. Can't go back. Are you with me here? Billings, I'm off my text. But you know, I know better. If the devil get one more shot at me, it's going to be a wrap. Are you hearing me, Sergeant? Did you hear me, Sergeant Ron? If he get his grubby paws on Wilson, one more time. Ain't going to be no get back next time. In other words, that shit been burned. Are y'all with me here? It ain't nothing but the cross before me. The world behind me. Y'all in here now. We've looked at checking your commitment. We've looked at checking your calculations. Let me show you now what we talked about last week. Checking your considerations. The verse says in verse 31, Lady White, or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with his 10,000 men to meet the one who's coming against him with 20,000 men. Or else, while they are still a great way away, he sends a delegation. And he asks for conditions of peace, or he asks for a surrender. So likewise, Jesus said, 
Whoever of you does not forsake all, he cannot be my disciple. Can I unpack this for you again this week? Once again, as Jesus is working through this parable, he gives us examples or windows to look through. I mentioned on last week that a parable is a earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's a what? Very good class. This time in the message, he uses a military example. In other words, the king that he uses in this story becomes an example of somebody that must consider the act of surrender because his defeat is imminent. In other words, he only got 10,000. But the one that he's coming up against in battle has got 20,000. Are you with me here? And what Jesus is suggesting for you and I, uh, brothers and sisters, is that this king with the 10,000, he need a new strategy. In fact, he better consider sending a delegation to get what is called some terms of peace. Why? Because he can't win in this war. He don't have enough soldiers. Y'all listening? He don't have enough men to fight the battle. In fact, this brother need to consider his limitations. What he can do and what he can't do. Checking his conditions for surrender is what I would call, Sister Cooley, the incredibly smart thing to do. If he wants to live another day. If he wants to live, he better surrender. Stay with me, y'all. If he want to live, he better, yeah, give over his rights to the one who has power and authority to change the outcome of his situation. I just dropped something right there, ladies. If he wants to be considered a wise man, it's best to surrender. And then Jesus says, and so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake Katina, his ways, forsake all, he cannot be my disciple. Now, last week I explained that this means the believer must forsake their own way and renegotiate the strategy for living. Just like the king in the text. Jesus is saying to the crowd, they must consider the cost of being a disciple. Be willing to surrender all, Lady Billings. Give up everything. Somebody help me say everything. Everything. Why? In order to do the things that, right, God would have us to do. So let me run it back to you again, what we talked about. If you want to walk closer with God, uh-huh. if you want to become an imitator of Christ, right. If you want to be a disciple, not just a convert, but a disciple, somebody who looks like God, walks like God, check your commitment to him. Check your calculations about him and doing great things for him. And then check your considerations for surrender. And then take up your cross and follow him. Story is told about the captain of a great battleship, Reverend White. He was coming in off the, the ocean and he saw a far light in the distance. And so he 
told his signal man, send them a message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. Promptly a message came back. Alter your course 10 degrees north. Captain, because he was captain, started feeling a certain kind of way. But Lord, and he sent another message. I said, alter your course. 10 degrees south. I'm the captain. Soon another message came in. Alter your course. 10 degrees north. I'm seeming third class Jones. Now you know that's way down here compared to the captain. Captain had a real attitude now. He said, send that boy another message. I said, alter your course. 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. Message came back. Alter your course. 10 degrees north. Because I'm the lighthouse. Somebody missed it. Here it is. Everybody needs to surrender to somebody at some time in your little beauty life. And if I were you, I surrender to the lighthouse. <laughs> I surrender to the one who's got all power, who's got all authority. I know you're a battleship. I know you didn't do some things in your life. But there is somebody greater. Are you with me here? If you're going to be his disciple, you got to look at surrender. We've looked at checking your commitment. We've looked at checking your calculations. We've even looked at checking your considerations. Now here's where I'd like to ask the last thing of you, which is the part B portion of this sermon. I'd like to ask you today, beloved, please, as your pastor, Check your condition for discipleship. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? Check and see if you are salty enough to make a difference for him. Now, this part might hurt a little bit, so brace yourself. Verse 34, Jesus closes that message, Brother Darius, powerful. He says, y'all, salt is good. But if it has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's neither fit for the land or the doo-doo. That's a dung hill. You know, if I was in the hood, I'd say another word right there. I'm intelligent now, Sister Green. He says, it ain't fit. For those two things, but men throw it out. Yeah. Right. And then he acts or makes a statement He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I did all of that to get to this point. Will y'all let me work now? Okay. As we reflect on this statement here in this passage by Jesus, the first thing we get to see is Jesus is making a point, Sister Wilson, about a believer's life. That calls for us to check to see what condition, Mother Ross, our faith is in. What do you mean? 
Since believers are called to be salty, since we're called to be the salt of the earth, since we're called to be the ones that make a difference in the world, first of all, we are called to season humanity, watch this now, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not your good works. That'd be like the Red Cross. Not your kind words. That'd be like the academic community. You have a distinctive. It's to salt the world with the gospel. Somebody holler gospel. The euangelion. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. Don't get it twisted what me and salty mean. This ain't what the word. The millennial son salty. You know, that's a bad term. She was salty with me. If you were really biblically salty, you laid the gospel everywhere you went. Does that make sense? I call this right here, I call this, daughter Jasmine, a crazy critical condition. It's crazy critical. What do you mean? Jesus begins with this statement as a or a statement of a declaration in the passage. First of all, three words, salt is good. I know we got bad is good now and good is bad, but let me get over all that and give you what Jesus said. Salt is what? Okay, one more time. Salt? One more time. Salt? In other words, it's good for you to be salty. It's good for you to talk nothing but Jesus. Come on, help me, y'all. It's good for you to be all about the gospel. God said that's a good thing. That ain't a strange thing or a weird thing or a false thing. If all you can talk about God, baby, bless you. Why? Because salt is what? It's good. Don't you let the world tell you nothing else. And then his statement shifts with a conjunction. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Laying out car words and making them function. Y'all remember that? Conjunction, but is a conjunction. It changes the thought of a sentence. The sentence was going in one way, but a but says, hold it. Y'all in here now? He says this. He says, but if it has lost its flavor. He just said it was good, but how shall it be seasoned? This is what I call a rhetorical question. Somebody say rhetorical. In other words, the answer you already know. Or the answer is in the question. And in other words, it can't be reseasoned. If it's lost its flavor, it can't get it back. Oh Stay with me. In other words, it's a tragic answer. Reverend Mason, he goes on to say that the salt, when it loses its flavor, it ain't fit for the land or the doo-doo. But men, they got to throw it out. Let me unpack it. When Jesus gets here, I notice that he says, when the salt, who is the believer, loses their flavor, they're not good for anything. In other words, you can't count on them to do what they were designed to do. Oh God, help me preach. I did some research this week. Lord, I think you'll appreciate this. The only way scientists say for salt to lose its saltiness from a chemical perspective 
is that for another chemical reaction to occur. What do you mean, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. NAC1 is a chemical substance. And it creates a chemical bond that's so tight that the only thing that can make it be ineffective is another bond just as tight. Sodium and chlorine is the NAC1, and they act almost like a giddy bride and groom. When they first get married, you can't separate them. He eat a bite, she eat a bite. Come on, talk to me. They stuck like glue. You, you can't separate them. They, they so tight. Are you with me here? And that, that's what salt acts like. In fact, with the NHC1, it serves so many purposes that it demonstrates how tight it is. For example, just a pinch of it in your food changes the composition. Huh? Just a pinch of it will draw water out of food. I remember one time my iPhone, I dropped it in the water and I put it in the bag of rice. Y'all in here? The rice pulled the water out the phone. Salt, there was the salt in the rice. Y'all in here? That does that. Not only that, it's, it's also used to cure food for longevity. Mm -hmm. It's used also, Brother Caleb, to create traction on icy roads. It's also used for antiseptic purposes. Y'all catch it? So for the Christian, the salt of the earth, to lose their saltiness, the gospel would have to lose its bond. In the life of the believer. I'm going somewhere. In other words, the gospel, Brother Ed, would have to be dissolved to make the life of the believer diluted. In other words, the person would have to lose his or her saltiness. I'll use this word, gospelness, and become what is called as a complacent. Christian. Here, here it is, Lady Billings. I, I think this will help. They would have to become the person who doesn't protect the truth of the gospel with their life. Come here, you tweeters. Come here. They would have to become the person who waters down the truth of the word of God in every area of their lives. They would have to embrace Sister Trina or bow down to the world's philosophies and false religions. They would have to embrace Mother Caldwell becoming a skeptic concerning the things of God and his written word. I feel like preaching through here. For example, when a believer loses their flavor, they say stuff like this. They believe in Jesus but they don't really want their lives to be changed. When they lose their flavor, they say, I know that the Bible says premarital sex ain't right, but does that pertain to 2021? When they lose their flavor, 
They say, I know that the Bible says I should not lie, but do that mean on my taxes too? I just lost my amen. Or at least a few times, I don't know. When they lose their flavor, they say, Jesus didn't really for mean for me to die to myself. He understand that a brother got needs. He know I'm human. And a little sin ain't never bother nobody. When they lose their flavor, Carla, they say a little sinful activity is good for me. When they lose their flavor, they say, I will give my all to Jesus when I get a little older. I still got some stuff a brother needs to do as a young man. When they lose their flavor, they say, I know I should do better, but ain't nobody else out here going hard for God. Come on, I wish I had some help in here today. When they lose their flavor, Mason, they say, it's just a little sin. It ain't hurting nobody. In other words, this kind of skepticism is evidence that they've lost the flavor of the gospelness. They've lost their influence in the world. Oh, God, help me preach it all. And the believer's bond with the gospel has been diluted. It's been separated from them. And they are no longer happy just being with Jesus. Remember I told you how NAC1 works? The two are in love with each other. Are you with me here? But when the believer loses their flavor, they can take God or leave. Can I call Rob? When they lose their flavor, brothers and sisters, they've lost the ability to change stuff. When they lose their flavor, they've lost the ability to shake up cultures. When they lose or lose their flavor, they lose the ability to shake up traditions, shake up neighborhoods, shake up family structures, shake up attitudes, and shake up governments. They've lost their flavor. So you see them doing stuff like raising the gay pride flag and bowing down to a flag. When the Bible said all sin is sin. Are y'all winning here now? When they lose their flavor, Nicole, they can't change gay pride. They can't change gay living. They can't change the gay agenda. Why? They believe in it. They support it. You don't serve. You don't serve and support murderers' pride <laughs> or abortion pride or getting high pride. How you gonna single out a sin as if it ain't sin when you have lost your flavor? You lose your influence, and as a result, you can't change sinful ideas in the world. You start to agree with them. When you lose your flavor, you become influenced by the world and no longer influenced by the book. When you lose your flavor, you become, watch this now, these ain't Wilson's words, but I like them, I'll claim them. You become good for nothing. That's from God. 
Huh? Can I be on the Lord's side today? He said, you ain't fit. And this got me, Mason. You ain't fit for the land. You ain't even fit for the doo-doo. You ain't fit for nothing, so we might as well throw you out. We can't count on you. Can I break this down? When he says the salt ain't good for the land, salt is used to cultivate the earth, to pull out the impurities. When the believer, yes, is no longer gospel-led, no longer salty, you ain't good for this land. Why? Because you have no power. No influence. Are you with me here? He says, secondly, the salt ain't no good for the dumb hill. I like my American word, doo doo. <laughs> trying to keep it light because it's a serious text. But here's what he's talking about salt has the power to take the smell out of the crap of this world. As I lay it down, I kept reading this text 
and marinating on. And then a friend in my library whispered this in my ear. I said, I might as well tell him that too. He said, Wilson, the believers are to act as preservatives in a dying world. You're supposed to make the conversation change. When you walk in the world, they're supposed to say, here you come. You're supposed to change the situation. Daughters, your modesty. I said it. It's supposed to make everybody cover up. It's the standard. Are y'all with me here? Your purity and your behavior ought not be questionable. You ought not be siding with the world and celebrating. That lets you know something's wrong right there with your gospel message. Check your condition of your discipleship. Couple quick questions and I'm through. Here it is. Have you lost your flavor? Have you lost your edge? Have you compromised your influence? Have you lost the thing that's supposed to set you apart? Have you lost your saltiness? Have you lost your power? Statement by Jesus, this final one, was to challenge us to really consider if we are disciples. <coughs> Let me illustrate this last thing. A disciple, beloved, ought to always be thinking about what God has done for you. You catch it? A disciple, Lady Green, ought to always do more than just give God a praise. I heard something this week that blew me away, but it changed my theology. You see, God don't need your worship. He's God. Worship ain't for God. Worship is for you. I just dropped something right there. He's God. He don't need your worship. But worship is for you. Why? Because it changed your attitude. It changed your heart. And it draws you closer to him. He already God. Yeah. Angels and they do a much better job than us. Are you in here? A disciple ought not be just, you know, thinking I'm just here just to praise God. No, you're here to follow him, to imitate him. To do what you saw him do in the earth. And I'm through. Now look at this text, Sister Wilson. Jesus showed me his commitment by coming down from heaven to die on the cross. I need to show him my commitment by taking up that same cross and giving my life up just like he gave his up. Somebody holler commitment. Not only that, Jesus calculated what it would cost to come down and redeem me, Lady Bunch. I need to calculate what it's going to cost for me to give my life back to the one who gave me his. Not only that, Jesus considered the cost 
when he left glory, became man and laid down his life that we might be saved. Amen. Jesse, you and I, we need to consider that cost every day. And then we need to check the condition of our flavor. You know, in history, there's never been a man more saltier than Jesus. He changed the world with his saltiness. Did y'all hear me here? It only took him three years to turn the world upside down, but he was salty enough to do it. You got more years of living on earth than Jesus had when he was on earth. What's your excuse? Your saltiness should matter as a disciple of Jesus Christ. He died, didn't he die? Was placed in a borrowed tomb. And early, Sunday morning, he got up with all power of heaven and earth in his hand. Life was so salty since he he still changing things. How about you? You salty enough like that? I'm through. Hudson Taylor was one of the most powerful missionaries that the church had. Amen. But missions wasn't always popping for him. In fact, the story is told that one stormy night in Birmingham, England, he was to speak at a gathering for Christians. And his friend or advisor, whoever put together the meeting, warned him, he said, it's raining too hard. I, I don't think nobody's going to show up, Billings. Hudson was so committed. He said, if nobody but the usher is there, I got to go. He went to the event and there was less than a dozen people who showed up. But there was something abnormally different that night in that meeting. The Spirit of God arrested that great hall. And it ended up that the eight or nine people that were there ended up becoming missionaries. Their children became missionaries. Their grandchildren became supporters of the China Inland Mission. And God arrested that small band of believers because they had this in common. They were committed. They calculated the costs. They considered what it was take, what it take, and they had the conditions of discipleship. And they changed the whole continent. I was discouraged this week. Every now and then, my pride gets the best of me. Y'all pray for me. Sometimes I think, I should be preaching to more people than this. How come people won't come to Bible study? How come they won't come to church? How come, how come, how come? I had that conversation with the Lord, and I heard my pastor tell me about his story. I could hear him in my mind. He said when he was pastor, his little church in Kansas, he was feeling some kind of way. He said he had a little, little office about the size of mine, a little broom closet. He said he was in there having a pity party one day, and it was as if God himself came in and sat on his desk and said, boy, if I let you preach to one person, that's more than you deserve. I had that conversation this week. Boy, if I let 10 people come in there, that's more than you deserve. 
Don't be successful. Be faithful. And all God's people said, would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father, some messages push us beyond our comfort zone. Some messages make us really examine if we love you. If we really are willing to take up a cross and follow you. Some messages just make us uncomfortable and to that I want to say thank you. Now as we consider the cost, for those who are here today who love you, but perhaps they've been snuggling up next to the world. I pray for your forgiveness now. Forgive us for jumping on the world's agenda. Forgive us for high-fiving what the world high-fives. Forgive us for giving away a little salt when we should be using it to make a difference in the world. Forgive us for not eagerly, willingly carrying our cross. We're sorry. We need you now to refocus, to revive, to renew, to restore that loving chemical bond that we have with you. Make us salty again. Use us. We want to be used. Thank you, Jesus. And for the one who is here today who does not have a personal relationship with God, beloved, if you are here and you don't know him, the Bible says that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And God is present to give you that everlasting life, that relationship. You can have him in your heart today if you just raise your hand this prayer after me. Say, Dear Lord, I'm a sinner and I need my sin forgiven. Come into my heart and save me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name I pray. Amen. Beloved, if you're here today and you prayed that prayer, Lady Wilson, would you help me? Would you make your way to the counseling room? If you're here today and you've made that profession, first time profession, my queen, your first lady, is going to meet me to give you some wonderful information. Oh, thank you, Dad. Glad you're here. Thank you. And Dad Jamie said they will meet you in the counseling office. Join us. We have some wonderful information for you today. Last of all, if you're here today and you don't have a church home, a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, where you can grow in the things of God and the Word of God, would you consider making New Beginnings your home today? We'd love to have you. We'd love for you to join us as we are making disciples and drawing close to God. You can come today on land by joining us in the counseling room, or you can join us online by putting some information in the link right now saying, Pastor, I would like to be a member of your church. One of our team will gladly get that information and reach out to you and give you all you need to be a part of this great work. If your heart and mind is clear, won't you say amen?
If you are born again believer today, that means if you were to die tonight, you know you're going to be with God. Would you wave at me today? Hallelujah. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for your act of worship. It's time to bless the Lord in giving. I'm going to pray for us and the brothers are going to come. And we're going to ask you momentarily by roles. The deacons will help you. You will stand when your role is called and you will march around to bring the Lord his tithe and offering. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come now to give you a portion of what you've given to us so that the work in this house may continue to go forth. The gospel may be preached. Staff may be supported. Programs developed. Mission work continued. We trust you. It's your church. You know exactly what you have in store for her. So bless the givers now as they come. Strengthen their hands. Strengthen the labor of love. And bless whatever gift they're going to bring to you in the love and in the obedience for your word. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand? Beginning in this first row right here, where Deacon Roy is. Thank you, Cliff. Please stand the first row to my left, your right, all the way to the left. Beginning in the front, if you'll just come around. Please march around so they'll know how to follow. Sister Billings, will you lead them this way?